Hello, everyone, and welcome to Coffee with Innovate Finance, our podcast series where we speak to leaders across industry to talk about financial innovation and fintech. I'm Rolf Merchant, part of the team at Innovate Finance, and today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Vadim Toda, who is CEO and co-founder of Proportunity. Vadim, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, uh, Rolf. It's a true pleasure. And uh, I'm always up for another coffee. I call my coffee right here. So <laughs> excited to be here. Perfect. Spot on. Well, that's the way it should be. Um, excellent. Well, um, it's a real pleasure to have you here. And thank you for taking the time. Um, lots to discuss today. Proportunity is a really interesting business and really, I think, capturing a part of financial services that's uh, long overdue disruption. So looking forward to getting into that. But Vadim, really interested to hear about your background as well, because uh, no doubt a very interesting one, as as all fintech founders are. So can you just start by telling us a bit about your personal background and how you came into the fintech industry? Sure. Um, so kind of like ground zero, I'm from a small town in Romania. Uh, I'm the son of two engineers, entrepreneurs. Um, so my parents, uh, when I was growing up, uh, were working as engineers in an import-export huge steel factory and on the side kind of had some uh, businesses by importing, exporting uh, clothing and afterwards pharmacies and online uh, and like a computer shop. So basically when I was eight, I was helping my dad assemble computers, install hard drives and install uh, Windows 98 off of floppy disks, I think. Uh, so I've always been kind of fascinated by technology and I've always been a bit of a geek. Joined my first math Olympiad when I was 12. And these things kind of combined. And then when university came, I um, applied to Oxford. And I did engineering with economics and management because I wanted, I kind of saw from my parents how sometimes when, if you're just taking the engineering approach, you'll have, you'll invent like the perfect solution for something that ends up being too expensive and people might not want to buy it. So I realized I also need a bit of economics and management to figure out demand and supply and uh, do that. And I've always been passionate to kind of do my own thing and solve a problem. Mm. So um, yeah, after university, I joined uh, Bain, where I worked mostly in finance, advising different companies, right? It's usually private equity backed companies to grow fast, be it in the car payment space or in the insurance space or in real estate. And um, it, it came time for me to focus on a problem I was quite passionate about, and this was uh, home ownership. And that's when we started Proportunity and we ended up being in kind of FinTech. So I guess it was a transition of tech from young, then science, then finance, and then FinTech. Yeah, mm-hmm. brilliant. Yeah, and really interesting to have that joint engineering and, and business background. It's a it's a great combination. Um, so Vadim, you, you mentioned opportunity there and getting it off the ground yeah more about that what what did that process look like what led you to to, to look at this particular problem opportunity started uh kind of out of a frustration i had with the real world um basically after finishing oxford joining bain my parents said okay you have a job stop throwing money down the drain on rent go buy um go buy a home so i did what any self-respecting geek would do when I Zoopla crawled all of their listings, tried to compare it with rental prices to see what's like that hack, what's the best deal. So I had like a little Excel of hundred properties. I started viewing them all 
And all of my hopes and dreams kind of cr came crashing down when I met a mortgage broker. Because basically they said, I can't afford anything, right? And the reason was, and I wasn't going for anything expensive. I was going for like really cheap one bedrooms uh, around 300,000 pounds. But uh, the problem was the mortgage world can only give you five times your salary or four and a half times. And at that time I was making 39,000. So four and a half times was close to 180K, 20K from my parents. So I was looking at 200 grand while all of these flats were beginning with a 300 grand. Right? Mm -hmm. So there's a hundred grand gap between what I could afford and uh, what I needed. And that was really frustrating for me because consulting jobs and investment banking jobs are kind of the jobs that everyone wanted at Oxford, right? So I was like, okay, I got one of the best jobs and I still am nowhere near affording a basic property. And for me, that was like on one hand, individually frustrating, but on the second hand, it, it felt like the average salary is 30,000, was at that point was 30,000 pounds. I was like, if I'm making more than the average salary and I can't afford a basic one bed, then what's going to happen with the population, yeah. right? Like most of these people are never going to afford the property they want, right? Because probably they actually want two bedrooms. So they have a kid and they grow up and they live. And um, that was kind of alarming. And it just stuck with me. And it started rotting away at my engineering spirit. Like, how can I solve this? How can I solve this? Because it's just like too, too annoying. And the solution kind of came out of love as I met my girlfriend. And then like a few years later, we got married and we were looking for a property to buy. And um, at that point, I spent a bit of years in finance working with private equity companies. So I, I learned how to do due diligence of targets and to kind of do market research and figure out where to invest. And my wife was also in finance, so she had some experience from asset management. So when it came to buying our first home, we applied all of those learnings to see what's an investment property, right? We didn't want to just buy the uh, red door with the white picket fence. We wanted to kind of buy something that also made financial sense. So we ended up in a gentrifying area and we bought something just before Christmas for like 510,000. And uh, little did we know, eight months later in August, we got an offer for $800,000 for the same house without even putting it on the market. It was just the real estate agent knew someone who has um, got a new job in the area and wanted wow. to make house and uh, they were willing to pay a lot more, right? Yeah. And for, exactly, wow, <laughs> that was our yeah. response, right? Because <laughs> we did the math and we're like, all right, 300 grand, eight months, that's a pretty good IRR for like <laughs> 100K deposit. And uh, what was fascinating was that it wasn't anything to do with the house. Right, like it's not like we stumbled across this huge house deal. No, this was like number number two on our top ten list. It wasn't even our favorite, but the first one we we lost due to some other couple with more money. And uh, in reality, what had and then this house was we didn't even negotiate on it. We just bought it at the normal price. Right, what what had happened was the area was exploded. Right, so this had a sort of crossrail, right, connection with the city center. It used to be a area that was like ridden in crime mm. but uh 20 years ago but had since been fixed uh now businesses were investing in the area so like banks insurers were opening up headquarters there uh, uh and then uh areas next to it closer to the city center were much much more expensive so imagine like the city center was something like i don't remember exactly but close to fifteen thousand per square per square meter or whatever it is like uh 2,000 per square foot. Then uh, you had the 
and then next area which was let's say half of uh, like two thirds of that so like a two bedroom was kind of similar price to a one bedroom in the city center and then this was like the second area uh, of outskirts and even though it was only like with the new crossrail it was only like five to ten minutes away from um, the second zone and maybe 20 minutes away from the first zone you uh, the prices prices were much much lower right so you could buy a seven bedroom uh house for like five hundred thousand yeah so we were like the original people in uh what's it called um uh uh welcome stuff right and um looking at it it was and like schools were improving you had this new crossrail and it was just like it was doing really well and for us it was like wow why is no one shouting about it? Like, why is no one shouting from the rooftops that invest in this area? You will get six, 60% growth in one year, right? Uh, why are we not reading about it in all of the newspaper? And that's when we realized like real estate is very understudied and no one was connecting the dots. So for me, that was fascinating, right? Like everyone, that's when I realized that real estate is something that everyone thinks they know, but no one actually researches properly to say, oh, and then that research is not made available to the public. But then at the same time, you have millions of people that make financial, like their biggest financial decisions of their life in this market, in the UK alone, right? So I was fascinated by that idiosyncrasies. And I was also fascinated about like, okay, in that neighborhood, it grew 60% in one year and there were like a thousand homes and that was like 300 grand per home. So like 300 million per per neighborhood. And if there's a thousand of those neighborhoods annually, that's like 300 million annually of these kind of super gentrifying, fast rising neighborhoods. And I was like, okay, can we forecast that? Right. So that's kind of when I left, joined Entrepreneur First and started, um, started Proportunity with my co-founder. And we started looking at, can we analyze this data to effectively understand how house prices move before they move? And then use that information in a way that, use, use that to kind of like, create a better financial future for us. Um, so that was it. <laughs> and, yeah. Sorry, that was a long-winded answer, but I think it's a combination of frustration <laughs> that we can't afford what we want and then realizing that there's all these areas of future growth that create so much value and they're understudied. And basically my engineering mind was maybe if we can use the latest tech to better understand that, we can use that as a resource to help people afford more sooner. Does that make sense? It makes complete sense. And it's an absolutely fascinating story, I have to say. And it's a really, really interesting you know, thesis. Can, I mean, you know, where you're coming from, it's it's amazing to think that the property market is so understood, as you say. And I'm sure that's absolutely true. So trying to yeah. build a model of that I, is, is absolutely brilliant. So I, so, I, I think, like, in everything, in everything in like kind of data, right, there's like 90% of the story that's obvious. Exactly. And 10% of the story that's completely whack. Right? <laughs> I think in real estate, everyone understands the 90%. But yeah. no one spends time studying the 10%. Yes. Absolutely. Right. And effectively, that's what we're doing because that's where you're getting the outsized returns. And then we're trying to use that as a force for good to help the next generation on the housing ladder with that. Yeah, brilliant. Cool. Okay, so let's talk about Proportunity today then. So what does it look like? How do, how do your customers engage with it? What, what are you helping them with exactly? Sure. So I guess we help customers in two ways today, right? So first of all is with our technology. And second of all is with a financial product. 
Right. So with the technology, we effectively analyze all of the areas that houses on the market today. Uh, we know which areas are growing, which areas aren't growing. We know which houses are on the market in those areas. We have an expectation based on looking at all of the historical transactions and all of these factors of how much you should be paying per square meter in an area for a certain house or a certain condition. We overlaid that with all of the houses on the market and effectively we kind of price them to say, hey, we think this one's a bit overpriced or this one's a fair price or this one's a great deal or this one's a hidden gem. Right? And customers can come and see all of this information for free on our website. Right, So this is kind of the home finding tool or the if you're already found a home, this is like the FOMO checker, have I missed out, right? And the this is kind of like financial education when it comes to making your first, make your biggest in financial investment in your life. Then the second part of what we do is we effectively provide a mortgage booster uh, uh, equity loan. What does that mean? It's kind of like help to buy in the UK, if you know that, but it's available on any property. Uh, or a better way of thinking about it is we're a bank of mom and dad as a service. Right? <laughs> okay. so, so if you weren't born rich uh, and you want to buy a home and like me, there's a hundred grand gap between what you can afford and what you would need, uh, we lend you that gap, right? Uh, and we give you a loan that's an interest-free, interest-only equity loan. So effectively, you only pay interest on it, so around 200 pounds per month for like 50K. And um, you can afford a 50 to 100 to 150 grand more home than you could by just going with the bank. And uh, then the loan is an equity loan. So effectively, we, let's say we give you 20% of the house price at the beginning. You then one, five years later, when you refinance or whenever you sell the property, you pay us 20% of the house price at that point. Right, so if the house price goes from like 500k to like 550, right, and we gave you 100 grand, then you give us 110 grand. Uh, so we make 10k, you make 40k. But it allows you to buy up to 10 years earlier or buy the house that you could afford 10 years from now, right? Like with an extra bedroom, extra garden uh, today. So that's the financial product we already have and we have given to the to customers and have helped finance over 100 million homes in the last few years. Absolutely brilliant. Fantastic. Um, really clear. Okay. So you're wanting to grow this business, uh, undoubtedly, and yeah. you raised $150 million last year. So yeah. tell us about that. What what was what was the thinking behind that that amount and what is it enabling you to do? I love this idea of $150 million because for me, it's something that is both simultaneously not enough because our vision is to help a million homeowners and it sounds like a lot of money but if you think about it a million homeowners average house price transaction is 300k right mm. so if you want to help people by adding let's say 50k to each home right with a hundred with a, a million uh, of 100 million you're helping 2,000 people right we need to help a million people at least. Actually, in the UK, there's 3.5 million households that are what we call resentful renters, uh, right? So we need to have trillions to come in for us to help the number we really want to help. But so on one hand, that's the frustration. On the other hand, it's $150 million <laughs> and, and we're 30 years old and we just created this mortgage lender and someone gave us that money. So this is kind of like, 
the duality of my thinking most of the time, right? I know the problem, we need a lot more. But on the other hand, it's also just looking back, it's like crazy that we've actually convinced people to allow us to put all of this money to great use. So anyway, that aside. Um, yeah, so we're, we're driven by this vision that we need to help at least a million homeowners by 2030. So we want to do a lot with it and we were trying to grow. So the $150 million we raised last year, we spent quite a lot of time doing it. We put an article recently in the press because we wanted to raise it on good terms to make sure that we, we always hold ourselves accountable. We want to create a product that our team would buy. We don't want to create like vulture blending, right? Vulture fund lending when we're creating products that are too expensive or don't really help, but brag that we do kind of like in the eighties when you had those shared appreciation mortgages where they gave you 10% of the house price, but because it was like, but then they took 50% of the house price appreciation, mm. right? Uh, so, because there's a lot of investors who want to put money in that and there's some companies who are appearing like that. Um, so money is very simple. We basically want to do more of what we've already done. Right. So we wanted to do, we were, we're trying, we've helped around 250 customers. We've proven the technology, the houses we invested in have done really well. The customers have done really well. Now it's kind of taking it to the next level and distributing to 2000 customers. Right. So that's kind of where that money is going for. And then the other part of the investment is uh, launching new products. As I said, so we've had, we have to like prove that our technology works and then uh, that the customers need this product. Now that we've done that and we've scaled, we're also looking at what are the next products we want to launch because we're uncovering that um, there's a, a lot more. As you go and you start working into this market, you realize that there's no one size fits all as because there, as there's different people at different points that need help, right? So for example, our current product allows customers to buy with a 5% deposit, right? We give them about 20% of the house price. So that's 25%. And then the bank helps with like 75%, right? And the bank's capped at five times income. So they borrow at about six times income. But then we realized that that 5% deposit, when you add up with the fact that you have to pay stamp duty and you add up with the fact that you have to uh, 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 pay lawyers and other fees on top, and you're, this is from like renting and trying to save while you're paying a lot of rent, is the deposit is a huge burden, right? So what we're trying to do now is develop two more products. One is a 100% LTV mortgage, so like a 0% deposit mortgage, which yeah. allows us effectively to make buying the same cost as renting, right? So further, going even earlier, right? So if previous, if our current product helps people buy 10 years earlier, this probably does it like 13 to 14 years earlier because it takes people around three to five years to save for that 5%. Obviously, only looking at the homes that are safe and only looking at borrowers that are safe. We're not doing any kind of crazy lending. But with our technology, it allows us to de-risk the status quo a bit further and do the and provide this extra value add for customers that other companies that don't have our house price tech can't do. Um, and then the second product is actually going even earlier because we realize there's customers like the, if you look at the 3.5 million households of resentful renters, or basically people who want to buy but can't. You have these guys who are mortgage ready, but don't have the deposit that we're going to have with the 100% LTV mortgage. But you also have customers who want to buy and aren't mortgage ready because maybe their credit score is not great, right? It's not just deposit. So we're looking at also entering in that market and adding another product in the shape of rent to own, where effectively we're saying to customers like, look, you have so we want to have some safety of mind. You can't go into, you can't buy yet. But what if you we were to 
help you will buy this home today you will rent it and from the moment you start we give you a guaranteed price that you could buy it at three to five years from now and uh in the meantime we'll take some of the rent money you pay and put it aside so at the end you'll have five percent deposit so you could buy it and you'll have time to fix your credit score in the meantime All right so there, there's been versions of these kind of solutions in the us and we're looking to integrate it as we have forty thousand users and about fifteen thousand of them need something like this so that's the kind of stuff we're doing with this money. Absolutely brilliant. Really, really fantastic. And um, I really like the concept of uh, resentful renters. I think that's a very smart mm-hmm. way of, of thinking about it. Um, so yeah. ne- ne- next question, you've touched a little bit on, on opportunities. Um, can I ask you sort of about threats as well for opportunity? What, 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 as a founder, what keeps you up at night? What, what do you worry about? Um... <laughs> Um, it's interesting, right? Because you can worry about everything and nothing, right? Because if you're building a mortgage lender with a team of like 10, 20 people and you're trying to raise funding and so forth and get homes, there's so much stuff that can go wrong just in that, that if you are deciding to look at threats and start worrying about them, you'll just spend all night shaking. Um, <laughs> so I think that we've hired good people. We've done quite well of ourselves so we're, we're managing but we're not necessarily afraid of that i think my fear is not doing stuff fast enough yeah right because there's a reason why we said help one million homeowners right because it's it's this industry is super slow moving right if you think about it it's real estate meeting with finance like other than prostitution these are literally the oldest school like oldest industries in the world yeah. right and they came together and they're known to be kind of old boys club, right? So we, it's very easy to kind of like slow down and say, oh, we haven't launched that product yet for another six months because I don't know, that's normal. It's a six month cycle or we need FCA approval and that takes a year, right? It's very easy to fall back. But in the same time, I always remind my team is those, those 1 million homeowners, the resentful renters, they're there, right? The 3.5, they're there. And they have no excuses. They're not, no one else is going to solve this problem for them unless we do it, right? And if anything, if we don't move fast enough, 3.5 becomes 5.5 in two years mm-hmm. because house prices keep growing, mortgage industry is not changing, and salaries are staying pretty flat, right? So my biggest fear is we don't move fast enough and we don't help these people fast enough. So that's kind of like what I worry about. And then the other threats, I guess, are macro, right? Like you have macro shocks. Although I think for us, I always think that the difference between a threat and an opportunity is just how you look at it, yeah. right? It's like the typical saying of don't let a good crisis go to waste. <laughs> and I feel like we saw a bit of that in COVID because we spent so much time kind of putting together this technology that helps us understand and de-risks house price risk, right? Like if effectively we credit score houses, right? Uh, we we did really well in COVID when all the banks kind of shut themselves. So when COVID first came and lenders kind of started going berserk and instead of lending with 5% or 10% deposit, they went into like, oh, you need to have 40% deposit because they were just afraid. We started with 5%, right? And we lent throughout. And guess what? All the houses did really well. And why is that? Because... Uh, we had the technology to look through that uncertainty, price that uncertainty and that risk and make it clear and know exactly what we go for, right? So 
for us, the macro shocks of inflation or whatever is coming next, we're weirdly excited by it because mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of like when you've studied for an exam and you kind of want to have a hard exam because if you have an easy exam, everyone does well. But when you have a hard exam, if you studied, that's when you do much better, right? And everyone starts going. So for us, we're kind of excited about the macro threats coming going forward. And I've also tried to like just teach our team to have a bit of a anti-fragile mindset. Wherever something shakes, shaking, let's try to use that to our advantage and see how we can get the most benefit to our, for our um, for our customers. I really like that, Bidin. That's a great way of looking at things. Um, can I ask, what about the fintech industry more broadly? Thinking about sort of your peers, other people founding, um, yeah. running running fintech companies, what, what do you see as the opportunities and, and perhaps threats for them? Uh, it's interesting. Like I think I think uh, in fintech we're going to see a lot more lending probably because you see it with also with like Monzo, Revolut, Starling, etc. Starling just bought some like mortgage lenders, mm-hmm. and you have all of these companies that until now just did like apps and users, and that's cool. But in reality, if you want to monetize them, most of the money comes from actually offering credit products. And it's also when you're really helping them, because, okay, having a card and opening a bank account slightly faster, that's fine, but it doesn't really change my day-to-day that significantly. It's just UX improvement. But if I can buy a house I couldn't buy before, or if I can get a loan that allows me to afford more, that's meaningfully different, right? And that's when you're turning someone's life around, right? Uh, and I think there's going to be a lot more of that. I think people are going to start using technology to just open up new ways of accessing capital, right? And you see a bit of this with like Klarna. I think that's uh, all of these buy now, pay later. It's, uh, that's already providing people ability to buy more. Maybe it's a bit risky. <laughs> uh, so there's, there's, there's elements to look at that. But what I see effectively the opportunity and the threat is mixing, missing, mixing fintech with debt and putting that debt to use with people. Right. And I think it's an opportunity and a threat because what we've seen like debt and startup growth are not necessarily aligned. Right. Debt is a lot more cautious, takes a lot more time. And that obviously uh, it's kind of like supply chain. Right. You need to manage that so you don't affect your customers. Right. You want to help as many customers as possible, but you also don't want to make like empty promises because your deadline doesn't come fast enough or stuff like that. Um, and also, you don't want to go into irresponsible lending. So, I think. That's going to be a big opportunity and threat for fintech over the next few years. But whoever cracks it, I think is going to make, pardon my French, but a shit ton of money. Yeah. Because that's when you, you make 5% on a few hundreds of millions of billions. Because think about like Revolut Monzo, they have millions of users, right? If they lend 100 pounds to each million user per month, and let's say they make, I don't know, one percent annual per month, right? Like a credit card, or better than a credit card. Then you have a hundred times a million t- times one percent, so it's like one million per month, just like that, right? Yeah. So, so there's, I think there's a there's like huge opportunities there, right? And obviously, not boats are on boats, but like mortgages are huge, right? And for us, we don't see mortgages as the end all be all, but we just see real estate as an asset that's underexploited. Right, because if you think about it, what is the cheapest loans you could get today? Mortgages, right? And then how can you create that in a way where you give people much easier access to that sort of capital? It doesn't just have to be a mortgage, but maybe if you're a homeowner, 
and you want to borrow some money, you should be able to borrow from the equity in your house just as easily as you take out a personal loan. And if you can do that and you could borrow just as easily as 2% instead of whatever, 7, 8% on a SOPA, then all of a sudden, that's a huge market, right? And that takes a bit of tech and a bit of scale and a bit of kind of customers. So I think that's, that's interesting and mixing it with embedded finance and so forth. That's, that's pretty exciting too. Yeah, brilliant. That's, um, as you say, very exciting and lots of players. And obviously, and I think the other thing is yeah. ESG, probably, yes. especially like if you look at PropTech, it's probably being more environmental, being a bit more sustainable. I think there are going to be some cock-ups there as well by some people getting a bit too excited. Uh, but uh, I think it's going in the right direction. Absolutely. Agreed. Yes. And we're seeing more and more interesting propositions in that space too. Yeah. Um, brilliant. So, but I want to ask a, lot, a final question. And you've given us a bit of a preview about what you've got in mind for the next, shall we say, 12, 18 months. But maybe just to sort of crystallize some of that, what, what do you, what can we expect to come from you and Proportunity over the next couple of years? What's in the pipeline? Um, so, I think, look, I'm a pretty blunt guy uh, and we have numbers. So, you don't have to read between the lines too much. But what we're effectively creating is, we're trying to create the operating system for home ownership here, right? Or, or a, a, let's, let's say like a sustainable ecosystem is probably the better way of doing it, right? We started helping people with this mortgage booster equity loan or Bank of Amida as a service loan. Now we're helping people with a 0% deposit mortgage. So like people who don't even need a deposit to buy a house. Uh, and then we're helping kind of people who can't buy, but rent to buy. So we're adding all of these things. What does this mean? We're basically trying to create the home ownership ecosystem, the one-stop shop for people who want to buy a house. And to combining that with our platform of education, like showing people what's the right price for a house in what area, which house, which areas are going to go faster and better. Again, we're just trying to basically uh, create the one source that people need to go to to um, to be able to understand what home to buy and to be able to afford that home much earlier, right? Uh, and I think in the in a way we're accelerated over the next year in our mission to do that because in the UK specifically, there's um, help to buy going away mm. in a year, right? And that's like that has. If you look at the market today for solutions for um, uh, potential buyers, it's quite fragmented. Help to buy is probably like the, the biggest single source of where people think, oh, if I'm trying to buy a house and I don't know what to do, I'll go there. I'll look at that, right? And the moment that's going to go away, not only is it going to leave a $5 billion a year lending gap, but it's also going to create a bit of a void of what's the new go-to solution if I'm financially challenged and I'm trying to buy a house, right? And, but I'm saying financially challenged. I mean, like I'm a normal person. I just don't happen to have 200 grand on my bed to cover for the gap between mortgages and house prices. Mm -hmm. So I think we're setting the foundation to becoming the next thing so that when help to buy goes away, where then you help to buy? And then adding more and more um, differentiating products that truly create win-win-win situation through our technology that allows us to take the risk out of the equation and kind of bring it back into the shape of customer benefits. 
That's a very good summary and really, really exciting. Uh, Vadim, I can't thank you enough for joining uh, <laughs> to speak with us. I mean, it's just brilliant. Isn't it? It's This has been really illuminating and I love the ambition and what you're trying to do. I think to, <laughs> for people of my generation, you know, this is exactly the sort of problem that everybody faces. Yeah. So it really strikes a chord. Um, really interesting insights. So Vadim, thank you so much for joining. Our, our pleasure. Um... Uh, I'll, leave, I'll lay you in on a little secret. I think you're the first one outside of uh, opportunity to know, and probably for the people uh, who listen to this podcast as well. We're going to do a little crowdfunding round in about a month. Okay. So if anyone wants to become um, uh, to support the cause and the mission, this will be your chance. It will be on the back of a bigger VC round we're doing. So uh, we'll uh, we'll give like a it'll be like a limited opportunity for you guys to kind of contribute to opportunity. But if people want, we'd be more than excited to do that. And whoever does that will then kind of invite to be some sort of super user group. And we'll, we'll try to have pizzas and beers to listen to your suggestions and uh, integrate into the product line. Well, that so, sounds, uh, sounds brilliant. Yeah. And you never <laughs> miss an opportunity to do a plug, by the way. So well done. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll try. We'll try. Um, thanks so much, Roll, for inviting us. It's been, it's been really nice to chat to you about our journey. Likewise, it's been it's been really interesting, Vadim. And, and again, thank you so much for, for giving up your time. I know what a busy man you must be. So it, it's really great, <laughs> greatly appreciated. Um, Likewise. But I think we'll have to end it there. Uh, that is uh, that is that for this episode. So thank you everyone for, for tuning in and listening. Please do keep an eye out for upcoming episodes because we do have many more conversations with fintech players planned. And of course, we have all of our previous episodes available to listen to on our website. So please do take a look at our back catalogue for many more insights on fintech and financial innovation. But just leaves me to say thank you once again to our guest today, Vadim Toda, who is CEO and co-founder of Opportunity. Thank you at home for listening and do join us next time for Coffee with Innovate Finance. Bye for now.